Hello, and welcome to How's the Water. I'm Sienna, and I'm back with my co-host, Gary. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy 2021 to all our listeners as well. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Uh, read more and frown less. I hope this year will be easier. Okay. And it'll be easier yeah. to keep a, a good, calm <laughs> face on. Yeah. So the books you're going to be reading are ones that aren't going to make you frown. I hope not. Yeah. What about you? Do you have any anything you hope to achieve in 2021? Uh, yeah, read a little bit more. But apart from that, I think COVID has gradually cut all the indulgences out of my life. Maybe have a drink a little less coffee, maybe. Oh, that's always okay, I suppose. Cut down on the uh, ad- addictive substances. Yeah. Always good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go for that, I think. Cool. Well, before we get going, I want to mention some accounts on Instagram that are great if you're interested in Bronte stuff. Not just you, Gary, everybody who's listening. Mm-hmm. The actual Bronte Parsonage in Howarth has an official account at Bronte Parsonage Museum, and they have lovely content related to the entire family, including great photos of the parsonage itself and plenty of historical tidbits. And there's also an account that I personally can't believe exists. It's someone who created a dollhouse of the parsonage, complete with dolls. It's at Miniature Bronte Parsonage. It's delightful and adorable and so detailed, so well done. And I highly recommend you give both accounts a follow if you're Bronte nerds like us. Bronte nerds like we've become. Yeah, I think I'll I'll definitely have a look at the Miniature Bronte Parsonage when I get a spare moment. That's so cute. Sounds great. Sounds really interesting. Sounds uh, funny as well. It's very funny. They've created little dolls of all the members of the Bronte family. I don't know who came up with that, like who thought that up, but that's a fantastic Instagram account. <laughs> that does sound like a good idea. Do they have one for the dad? Yeah. Yeah. Patrick Bronte has his own thing. Okay. His Grandma? own little doll. Yep. Everybody. Um, Arthur Bell Nichols? I don't know. Okay. I'm not well, sure. He's probably in the kitchen mixing up some potions. Oh, don't say that. We'll get to that in the next episode. We will. A little spoiler there for you. Mm, The ill-intentioned Arthur Bell Nichols, allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. Definitely allegedly. Yeah, super allegedly. Um, All that being said, we're going to pick up where we left off at the beginning of Volume 2 of Wuthering Heights. Uh, Would you mind doing a brief recap of what happened in Volume 1? Yep, sure thing. So, when we last left our characters, Hindley and Catherine Earnshaw had passed away. and Heathcliff, who has now Eliza Doolittle himself into a wealthy gentleman, we concluded, became the master of Wuthering Heights and took charge of Hareton, Hinley's son. Edgar's unfortunate and naive sister, Isabella, left Heathcliff for London, where she gave birth to their son, Linton, before Catherine passed away. She gave birth to a daughter who is confusingly named Cathy in her memory. And Cathy lives at Thrustcross Grange with her father, Edgar, and our beloved interfering narrator Nellie Dean and everyone maybe apart from Nellie Dean is completely miserable that sounds great but the worst is yet to come twelve years pass Isabella dies in London of just some general year-long wasting sickness that people got a lot in those days we don't need to get into that again 
too much. We know how we feel about that. Edgar brings Linton, her son with Heathcliff, to the Moors for the first time, being his uncle and everything. However, Heathcliff demands that Linton come to live with him at Wuthering Heights. And can you imagine being forced to live with Heathcliff and the Moors after you grow up affluently in London? Uh, no, I think suicide would probably be a preferable option. I think that's horrible, <laughs> terrible. Uh, it so, doesn't work out well for Paul Linton, does it? No, we'll talk about him a bit later and how bad mm. we feel about him. Yep. Edgar forbids his now teenage daughter Kathy from visiting her cousin and Wuthering Heights. Yeah, so Kathy Linton, we're going to talk a little bit about her now. So Kathy's father is understandably very protective of her, given what happened to her mother, which means that her childhood is very sheltered and she's unaware of the background of her parents and Heathcliff. Kathy inherits her mother's beauty and her single-minded spirit. This, in combination with her strong-willed and spiritual character, spirited, not spiritual, spirited character, means that she is extremely curious about life outside Thrushcross Grange. After some years, around age 16, Kathy discovers more and more ways to steal away to the Heights and becomes a frequent visitor of Linton's with the subtle encouragement of Heathcliff, who then manipulates her into a relationship with Linton that begins with them exchanging secret letters and that escalates to her sneaking out of the house to take care of him in the evenings. Yep. Linton Heathcliff is depicted largely as a weak and fragile, whiny character who's easily bullied and abused by his father, but who has also inherited his father's manipulative nature, and he insists that he and Kathy should be married. When Nellie and her father discover that she's been sneaking off to see him, they are furious, but hearing that Linton might be dying, Edgar reluctantly allows Kathy to meet with him on the moors. Mm, not a great idea. No. So at the meeting, Heathcliff is there and he persuades the group, Nellie included, to walk back to Wuthering Heights and forces Kathy to marry Linton against her will when he literally imprisons her there, <laughs> which is incredible. Locked in separate rooms, Nellie and Kathy are only freed when a servant, Zilla, takes pity on them. They return to Thrushcross Grange, where Edgar dies soon afterwards. And Heathcliff then demands that Linton and Kathy live at Wuthering Heights with him. The sickly Linton then dies, which forces Kathy to stay there. And it means that Heathcliff's plan for revenge is fulfilled. Because women, remember, from Tenet of Watfell Hall, women could not own property at that time. And Edgar died before he could legally transfer his estate to Kathy in his will. As Kathy's uh, father-in-law and her only male relative, Heathcliff takes possession of Thrushcross Grange. Heathcliff forbids Nellie from visiting Wuthering Heights anymore. And Kathy is doomed to live there as a servant with him and Harriton and Joseph. The story then reaches the present day, which is the point where our original narrator, Lockwood, first encountered the group after the snowstorm. So no wonder they were all so pissy after everything that happened. Indeed <laughs> not. A lot happens in that part, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I have a question for you. It's a slightly loaded question, but how sympathetic do you think Linton Heathcliff is? Uh, that's such a hard question because Linton, he's kind of a victim of his own circumstances. He's born already a bit ill and, and a sickly kind of kid. And he's grown up very spoiled in London and coddled by Isabella, his mom. 
And then he's quite young. I think he's only like Kathy's age, 11 or 12, when his mom dies. Hmm. And then he's removed from that lifestyle to the north of England. Ew. Just kidding. That was a joke. And he's uh, forced to live with a dad he's never met who happens to be Heathcliff, who's awful. And he experiences a little bit of time with Edgar and Kathy, and they're nice to him. But then immediately they're like, you have to go live with your dad. Bye. And then they they don't see him for like four years. And that entire time, Heathcliff is just getting to him. Mm. And Heathcliff doesn't like him as he knows that he's like, a, I think he just says like, I can't believe you're my offspring. You're disgusting and sickly and fragile and is really emotionally and I, probably but physically abusive to him too. But can you feel bad for Linton? He's such a brat. What do you think? I hate him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's my least favorite character in the whole book. I mean, I understand what you're saying in it and the circumstances in which he's um, well, which he's grown up and have been transferred to the moors are kind of aren't great and they must have a very negative impact on his personality and character but at the same time he's just awful and whiny and just he's not pleasant is he mm -hmm. to anyone around him i don't think you're encouraged to feel sorry for him at all in any way he's um he's almost a combination i think of his two parents sort of worst traits isn't he because mm -hmm. he doesn't have any of Heathcliff's kind of strength of character but he does have his kind of vindictiveness and he's manipulative like him and like his mother his mother's a little bit sneaky isn't she she sneaks off and runs off with Heathcliff and he's quite a sneaky kind of character as well and he doesn't seem to have got any of their kind of not that there are many but any of their more positive um attributes i don't think i yeah he's my least favorite character in the whole novel by miles yeah. i prefer heathcliff to him to and it's interesting that he doesn't share any blood at all with with catherine the the og catherine mm. catherine earnshaw they don't she's just like she would be his aunt by marriage but they are so similar and that just must be the result of being brought up to be really spoiled or in a very spoiled house because they act so similar you know, they, they're prone to childish fits of rage when they don't get their way. And whenever Kathy, young Kathy, comes to visit him and she doesn't mother him, you know, she tries to get him to be a bit stronger in character and, and or she denies him something that he wants. He, I think there's a point in the book where he throws himself out of bed like mm. a child and he's an adult. He's like would be an adult man. He's like 16 years old. Um and she, he's writhing on the floor, having a big fit. And Nellie Dean and her are just staring down at him like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's more like a tantrum, isn't it, than a fit? Yeah, yeah. And he's scared of Heathcliff, um, as he should be. But he definitely persuades Kathy to marry him because he knows that's what Heathcliff wants him to do. And he's fully willing to go along with that. But I think it's just... You know, as a means of survival, essentially, in in that house. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all trying to survive, aren't they? He he, mm. he certainly is. I think. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I just don't like the way he does it. But you know, that's my other opinions are available. Mm. Do what you got to do. Mm, definitely, I suppose. Now, yeah. what do you think of Kathy Linton's behavior in this part of the novel? Well, in contrast, she's possibly my favorite character in the book yeah, i don't she's know great. 
I think she's obviously, I mean, she has Edgar as a father, not Heathcliff. And Edgar seems like a nice guy, really. Possibly one of the, the, the nicest characters within the novel. I don't know. I can understand her wanting to get, she's been brought up, she hasn't been brought up in London. She's been brought up on the moors and just been kind of cosseted in this house and is just desperate to um, see the world beyond Trust Cross Grange, I guess. Um, and I think that's understandable. Her choice of man in Linton is probably the main thing that I would fault her in. But I think that she's naive because she's had no other choice than to be naive just because of the way she's been brought up. And I think that's where her naivety comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I mean, in the next part that we're going to hear about very soon, I think you really see that she's a, a really decent person, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And in the the first part of volume two that we just talked about, I think something else to remember is that Linton sort of played on her naivety and he played on how nice she is to get her to like him more. So just kind of, you know, saying, oh, I'm just the, your sick little cousin. Oh, and she's very sweet and and thinks that taking care of him and mothering him and doting on him is what she needs to do. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of maybe how she sees the role of being a wife, Mm -hmm. uh, which maybe was quite common at that time, possibly. I mean, that kind of also kind of comes out in the next part with her, who she ends up with as well. Yes, let's, let's get into that. As we said, the last part of the story has reached the present day. So we now go back to Lockwood, our original orator, who quickly grows tired and bored of life on the moors and leaves. Eight months later, he returns to find much has changed. He meets Nellie again, who recounts the end of the story as she's been employed at Wuthering Heights by Heathcliff once again. Catherine and Hareton, despite initially loathing each other, begin to form a bond and Cathy begins to teach him to read. Heathcliff begins to withdraw into himself, seeing visions of the dead Catherine, and finds Hareton has begun to resemble her so much he can hardly look at him. He stops eating and then dies in her old room. In the present day, Cathy and Hareton, who is becoming much more educated, plan to marry. Yeah, because you shouldn't marry a dummy, ladies. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Someone someone should have told my wife that. Ah, but um... Indeed. Nellie says that the locals have been seeing the ghosts of Catherine and Heathcliff wandering on the moors, and the novel ends with Lockwood cheerfully contemplating Heathcliff, Caffey, and Edgar at their graves. As we said, this is a happy Christmassy style novel. Yeah, and a little bit about Heathcliff here. Heathcliff's lack of familial identity or belonging to any group is underlined by his singular name. His thwarted love of Catherine Earnshaw becomes the central theme of the novel as it underpins his need for revenge in its second half. He is resilient, withstanding the beatings of Hindley, and also shows the ability to reinvent himself when he returns richer after three years. In spite of achieving his revenge, he dies a tormented man, haunted by the ghost of Catherine, and in the end, they roam the moors together in spirit. Yeah, yeah, it's a <sighs> lovely way to finish, I think. It is, yeah. Mm. Not a lovely book, though, but it's... No, uh, by no means. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that second half of the book 
it goes so quickly. Yeah. But there's a lot that goes on. Yeah. Should I tell you what I like about the second half? Please. Well, I always think when you have kind of love stories or tragic stories, uh, when, you know, in a love story, the traditional ending is that people get married and in a tragic story, people die. But I always kind of think, well, what happens afterwards? You know, a marriage isn't necessarily a happy ending or a death is not necessarily an unhappy ending. You know, life Uh goes on and Uh there's always kind of repercussions of these things. And I think the thing I really like about Wuthering Heights is that maybe half or nearly half of the novel is about the repercussions of what happens between Heathcliff and Catherine and how it impacts on the generations that come after them. And um, I find that more interesting than the actual story itself of Heathcliff and and Catherine. Yeah, there's a lot of fallout that happens uh, in the wake of their relationship that um, they don't ever actually have a relationship, do they, really? Um, they love each other and they're, they're certainly like friends, but they, there's nothing that indicates they ever get together. I don't even think they've ever really kissed except for before she died, they kissed once. Yeah. They're sort of secretly meeting, aren't they? When, when he comes back. So you don't entirely know what's happening in those meetings because well, you're hearing this from Nellie Dean and obviously she wasn't there. So you kind of only get hints of what happens. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. A really good thought about it. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I have a question for you. This is slightly sort of similar to one of the questions we had in part one. But do you think that the nature of Heathcliff's death proves there is something supernatural about him? No, not necessarily. I don't. Mm, I don't want to say that that I don't believe in supernatural things. Because I, I think there are certainly unexplainable things. And part of this book definitely plays off the aspect of ghosts and spirits. And, you know, is Heathcliff a demon? Is he the devil? Is, you know, all these things. But I just think he's a an unfortunate kind of person with a lot of negativity. And a lot of negativity that he happily kind of let erode away at him. The nature of his death to me just seems like somebody who's m- maybe so heartsick over years and years and years and just so just rotten. Oh, that sounds like a weird thing to say, but um, he stops eating. He's going out for walks. He just wants to be alone. He kind of recludes into himself. And that just strikes me as someone who you die of unhappiness more than anything else. So that's what I think. Okay. What about you? Um, I don't think the death proves anything. I mean, I kind of said what I felt um, in the other part. In the, there's a uh-huh. possibility of something supernatural or animalistic about him. Mm. And there's lots of hints about that in the book. I don't know. I mean, the, the novel does sort of end with there being rumors of their ghosts wandering the moors. And obviously, you never really know how seriously you're supposed to take this. It's kind of just hinted at, isn't it? And you're left to draw your own conclusions. Uh, hmm. my, my conclusion is, uh, I don't know. Um, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Um, there are, there's quite a lot of, it's not necessarily a realistic story, is it? I don't think. So there are lots of ghostly kind of elements to it. And this, you know, this could well be one of them. Yeah. And that leads me to another question for you. Mm. So to, 
To what extent do you feel that this is a ghost story or a romance novel or just a novel about class? I would say it's possibly all three. I mean, we kind of covered the ghost story elements a bit in in the last question, but yeah, there's definitely an aspect of that. Um, There is romance in there and it kind of has a a happy ending in a way with Cathy and Harriton coming together. So it's going to end in, in marriage. Um, and obviously there's the the famous love story between uh, Catherine and Heathcliff. So that's there. And yeah, I think maybe in all Victorian novels, class kind of comes into it because it's mm-hmm. kind of fixed. You know, uh, Catherine marries Edgar in order to raise her own sort of social status, so to speak. And Heathcliff as well kind of raises his own social status in a different way, probably in a way that a, a woman couldn't at this time. You know, he disappears and come eat well, he disappears a servant doesn't he and then almost comes back a gentleman yeah, he uh, runs off with nothing yeah exactly yeah he um, just leaves and then he comes back a yeah wealthy gentleman yeah he lies a doolittled into into a gentleman into, into a, a gentleman. Yeah, yeah. yeah um and i'm always kind of uh, interested in characters who kind of reinvent themselves you know jay gatsby or don draper or someone like that that's always quite fascinating for me the kind of really really self-made man or self-made woman that's something that i find quite interesting nice i agree yeah and there's another interesting sort of trope to this novel i think um whereas the men like heathcliff can kind of reinvent themselves or they're kind of gentlemen already or like mr lockwood they can you know appear on the moors or go back to london whenever Mm -hmm. they want more or less Mm -hmm. the women are kind of imprisoned aren't they the, la- the landscape kind of traps them. Yeah, yeah. The um, men can be transient and kind of do as they want. Yeah. But Isabella manages to escape. Um, but you think of Kathy. She's both trapped at Thrustcross Grange by her father um, in a kind of benevolent way. And then at Wuthering Heights by Heathcliff in a much less, well, what should we say? With, much le- with a much less amicable motivation for doing that so i mean she's very much a sort of trapped character yeah so i think that's an aspect the landscape traps all of them they're kind of the the men and the women are all locked together including joseph joseph lockwood actually um with the snowstorm with the snowstorm right so you kind Mm -hmm. of have this feeling of the weather keeping people together and or, or they have nowhere to go Catherine and Cathy are both imprisoned by Edgar Linton and Heathcliff. Um, yeah. And then conversely, the ghost of Catherine is trapped outside in that part with Heathcliff calling to her out of the window quite near the mm-hmm. beginning of the novel. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Lots so. of locked doors, closed off rooms. Yeah, it is very, um, very um, over overarching theme. I think the idea of female imprisonment. Yeah. But- do you think it's sort of a feminist novel in that way? Uh, well, I wouldn't call this a feminist novel by no. any stretch of the imagination. I, Tenant of Wildfell Hall mm. or Jane Eyre even could be seen as more of a feminist novel. I don't think Emily might not have been going for that when she wrote when she wrote this necessarily. She might mm. have just been making a a general comment on the 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 state of women at the time, but mm. she didn't particularly aside from Isabella Linton she didn't portray any any female characters as having um escaped that particular problem 
Oh. But you could yeah. argue that because they can't escape, that's the feminist aspect. That it's well, just a, yeah. just a depiction of it. That's true. Yeah, that's a good thing to think about, actually. Yeah. Would you like to finish the biography of Emily Bronte now? Yeah, speaking of dear old Emily. All right. So after... Uh, This is, you know, coming from after she wrote Wuthering Heights and everything. Uh, Emily's always fragile health was not helped by the Yorkshire climate. I feel her with that. There were also unsanitary conditions at home because the house's water source was contaminated by runoff from the church's graveyard. Ew. Graveyard runoff water. Mm, Lovely. Drinking it. Lovely. Uh, their brother Branwell, he died suddenly in September 1848. And at his funeral, Emily caught a severe cold, which developed into tuberculosis. And she eventually died of this in December of the same year. And Wuthering Heights was her only finished and published novel. Yeah. But what a novel. If you're going to write one novel, it might as well be something like this, I think. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she did that and then went, all right, it's, that's it. That's me. I think didn't, wasn't Charlotte, maybe this is something I've just made up or, or read somewhere else, but I thought that Charlotte was trying to persuade her to write more because Anne had written more, Charlotte was writing more, and she just was like, no, I'm okay. I, I don't know. I hadn't heard that. I always thought that she basically died uh, before, before she, could, she... Write, could write anything else. Uh, um, maybe that's maybe yeah. that's what it was. But I just think that Charlotte was kind of the one who pushed her into kind of churning it out a little bit. And then as soon as it was done, mm. that she was kind of like, all right, I'll do my poems and I've got some of that going on. But otherwise, she didn't really want for much for much else. Yeah, that could be true. But then if she'd lived longer, then maybe maybe the, the inclination to write another, another novel would have come back. Sure. Yeah. That's How old would Emily have been when she passed away? Um, was she about 30, something like that? Oh. Um, well, we've got the year of her birth here. Uh, I can't yeah. math this, so you... 1818 to 1848. So, yep, that's 30. So she was mm-hmm. 30 when she died. Yeah. Ugh, sad. Yeah. What what else you know what she could have what she could have done if she just uh, hung in there another yeah. five ten years? Yeah, Wuthering Heights two. Wuthering Heights part two. What, what would happen in part two? Uh, Wuthering I, Heights. I don't know. I mean, I think I guess Hareton and Kathy would have to have a child, and something would happen to that child on the moors. I guess Catherine and Heathcliff's ghost kidnaps their child, and. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't have a... <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound very good to me. It's not. Yeah, I'm glad she died before she could write that. <laughs> sounds awful. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave you with that thought. Do you want to get into some, some silly questions to raise uh, the mood? Let, let's leave this serious <laughs> discussion of Wuthering Heights 2 and get some silly questions. Should okay. we do one, one each? Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you like to ask me first? Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see. Uh, ah, okay. Who, if you had to have a character be your tenant or your landlord, uh, who, who, first, who would you like as your tenant? Um, in this book, I would quite like uh, Joseph Lockwood as my tenant because 
I know he's quite annoying and he's quite pompous, but when he when he doesn't like uh, someone, he disappears and goes back to London and continues paying rent for another eight or nine ah. months. So that would be perfect, wouldn't it? He's not around and you're still sort of making money for, from him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would go for him, I think. Okay. And for my landlord, well, you're not going to pick Heathcliff, are you? Um, no. He's not very hospitable. Who would I want for my landlord? You'd probably go for Edgar. I mean, his family take in Catherine when she gets bitten by the dog and they treat her really well. So I imagine Edgar would be quite a good landlord. He he seems like someone whose intentions are very good, I think. So I would go with him. Nice choices. Yeah. Who would you haunt and who would you want to be haunted by? Mm. Who would I haunt? Uh, I'd haunt Linton because that guy is such a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be funny to just, you'd so, you have so much fun haunting that kid, Uh, which is a bit mean, but yeah, it's, don't feel that bad for him. And who would I want to be haunted by? Who would be fun to haunt me? Let's see. Well, it kind of be, Oh no, I was going to say Joseph. But that'd just be somebody banging pots around all the time and uh, awful. <laughs> Do you want to be someone talking to you in an incomprehensible accent? <laughs> yeah, uh, Nellie Dean haunting me seems okay. That's who I would go for. Uh, yeah, she could haunt me. That'd be fine. She'd probably just be like, "Don't do that." What? What are you doing? She tells Don't. a good story as well. Yeah, and she could just tell me ghost stories about herself. Yeah, that's who I'd go. <laughs> yeah, so Nellie Dean. I think that would be nice. Okay. And uh, who would you take for a walk on the moors? Probably Kathy Linton. I mean, she's my favorite character. She's quite spirited. I think she kind of comes to know the moors quite well. Um, so she could kind of uh, point things out to you. She could tell you the history of things that happened there, I think, as she's lived there her whole life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she seems, just seems like a good person. She's She would be a, a nice person to spend an afternoon with. Yeah, she's she has um, – if, if Linton Heathcliff has all the worst qualities of his parents, mm-hmm. then I think Kathy possibly has the best qualities of her parents – yeah, definitely. Yeah. She's got the sort of the nice side of her mother, hasn't she? And and of her father, which is basically what you just said, isn't it? <laughs> Good job. You listened. To me. I did. And then repeated what you said back what That's you said fine. back to you. Yeah. You mansplained my own answer to me. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Anytime. <laughs> Shall we close out our episode on Wuthering Heights? with um, a little bit of a life lesson as we've, as we've done in our previous episodes with Jane Eyre and Tenet of Wildfell Hall. I think that sounds like a great idea. The characters in this novel who make the cruel choices tend to have this cruelty revisited on them. Both Earnshaw siblings suffer as a result of their treatment of Heathcliff. Hindley's bullying of him and demoting him to the position of servant leads Heathcliff to return and take his inheritance from him and his son. Catherine's unfeeling attitude towards Heathcliff in that despite their shared love, she chooses to marry the more affluent Edgar ultimately leads to her own illness and death. 
and Heathcliff's revenge on her husband, daughter, and sister-in-law. Heathcliff himself, in spite of his slow plan for revenge, eventually being successful, remains unfulfilled and dies alone and seemingly unhappy. However, the one person who seems to best Heathcliff in some way is Kathy Linton, Catherine 2.0. And through coming to care for and educate Harriton, she wins over Heathcliff and that it is through this that she circumvents her imprisonment. He loses the desire to compete with her and on some level generally seems happy for and respectful of their love and perhaps recognizes himself and Catherine in it. And we'll end this here with a quote from the last lines of the book. Would you like to read that, Gary? I would. I love the way this book finishes. So this is um, Joseph Lockwood again. I sought and soon discovered the three headstones on the slope next to the moor. The middle one grey and half buried in heath. Edgar Linton's only harmonised by the turf and moss creeping up its foot. Heathcliff's still bare. I lingered round them under that benign sky. Watched the moths fluttering among the heath and harebells. Listened to the soft wind breathing through the grass. And wondered how anyone could ever imagine unquiet slumbers in that quiet earth. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's a great ending, isn't it? Yeah. It's a great ending. It's really good. And we'll leave that there. So thanks for listening. Take care, everybody, and stay safe. And see you for the next episode. Bye. <laughs>